Our scripture reading this morning is going to be in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. God's Word says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather this morning, we are grateful that we are, many of us, God, are your people. We've been called out of darkness. We've been ransomed from futile ways that we inherited through the fall of Adam, through our parents, God, uh, through our own sinful natures. But God, those of us who are in Christ have been rescued from that. Uh, we have been rescued and ransomed, not with gold or silver. Those are tarnishable. Those are corruptible things. God, we've been rescued, as you know, by your plan through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in that. There is no corruption in his blood. There is no weakness in his blood. It is not insufficient in any way. And God, we have been perfectly saved, those of us who are in Christ. And so as those who are your children, those, God, who, whom you have rescued and ransomed and loved and set apart for your purposes, we ask that you would help us to be holy. Your word commands it, God. And we recognize that we're incapable and insufficient to meet the demands of your commandment. And so we ask for the grace this morning to be holy. God, we pray for the Spirit's presence to be at work in us, conquering sin. It has conquered sin in some ways. We are no longer dead in sin, and we are no longer under the curse of sin, but we are still under the influence of sin. And so we pray that its power would be broken as you help us to glory in Christ, to love Him and cherish Him and put Him above all things. God, that we would pursue you through Him and that you would sanctify us and make us holy, God, through the presence of your Spirit so that we can be as you are. God, we glorify your name and bless you for these things. But we also recognize that there are some here, God, some children and some adults even, that are under the sound of my voice this morning that are not in Christ, who do not know what it means to be saved and sanctified and, and blood-bought and redeemed. And so we pray, God, not because we're superior, God, not because we are judgmental, but because we love and care for them. We know that your word says that, that judgment is coming, that every one of us someday will stand before your judgment seat. And you judge impartially, as this passage says. That means that you can't be bought off, that you can't be corrupted, that you look and see exactly what we've thought and done and didn't do, and you will judge us based on those things, or you will judge us based on the merits of Christ. 
And so we pray that all those who are outside of Christ this morning, whether young or old, would see their need of Jesus, that you would do a work, O oh God, in their minds and their hearts, drawing them to the reality that they have never really reckoned with, and that you would cause this to be a, a morning, God, where you call to life those who are dead in trespasses and sins, that you would ransom for yourself, O oh God, people from this congregation today, whether young or old, and that you would bring everlasting life, God, for those who, who dwell in, in death this morning. Morning. We pray for your grace. We pray that the word would be effective as it's sung, that the giving would be gracious and from the heart, and that we would joyfully uh, receive your word as it's preached and put it to practice, all for your glory and for the building up of this body, O oh God. These are our desires today, and we ask for your help to do it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's have our ushers come forward this morning for our offering. They're coming to just remind you again to be praying this month for the, the quarters. Um, I was just looking at their newsletter. They have 100% of their launch fund. That's the money they need just to get them to the Republic of, of Georgia where they're going. And then they are, it looks like about 65% of the way uh, to their monthly support, the ongoing support that they need. Uh, and they're praying that they would be able to go, I think this fall, to, to reach there. He asked specifically that we would pray uh, that God would continue to give them faith to, to be obedient. Uh, you, you can imagine that you're getting ready to leave and go to another country and they have a large family, you're moving there, uh, and it's a dark place. It, it's not like where we are, where there, where there are a lot of people, a lot of churches, uh, and so it's just a challenge for them in that way. So let's pray those two things. Let's pray that God would provide for their monthly needs uh, and then pray that God would continue to just give them a strong faith that, that moves forward with what God has clearly called them to do. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we pray uh, this morning as we give. Uh, we, we pray that you would help us be reminded of those uh, who are giving not only financially, but giving their lives really to, to go uh, and carry the gospel forward. And we do pray for, for Barry Corder and for their, their family, Carolyn, and we, we ask God that you would strengthen their faith we pray, Lord, that they would not waver at all as they approach uh, moving to Georgia and leaving their home behind and leaving many of their family and friends and the comforts of, of being in a strong Christian community and all of the things that they're going to be leaving behind. Lord, I pray that those things would not cause them to waver in the fact that they know that you have called them to this work. We pray especially for their children, God. It must be a particular challenge. Uh, to move children and, and them leaving their, their friends behind. And uh, so I just pray for a unique blessing in that, that you would uh, help their children understand why they're doing this. Uh, that I, I pray for their children that you'd give them faith, Lord. I don't know how many of them are believers, but I pray that you would save them. And, and for those who are saved, I pray that you would strengthen their faith, even at that level, that they would be willing to, to follow you in this uh, task that you've called their parents to. We pray, Lord, for uh, their financial needs. God, we pray that you would uh, raise up many churches and individuals who uh, would, would meet the need there. What, what is left over of uh, around 40% uh, of this monthly need that they have. I pray that when they go on the field, they would be 100% funded uh, and that you would secure that for them. And we ask this knowing, Lord, that you're able to accomplish all things. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, our children can head out at this time.
If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We concluded our series last week through the book of Ruth, and now we're going uh, to do uh, a short series on what the Bible says, or really what Jesus says, the words of Jesus and, and money, uh, material goods. Um, so we're going to spend the next few weeks just thinking about that, and uh, we're going to begin really here at, at chapter 13 of, of Matthew and verse number one, and I'll read that, and then I want to make some comments about why we would do a series like this, uh, but let's just begin by reading uh, the parable. This is the parable of the sower and the seed. So Matthew 13, verse number one, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great ca- crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's skip down now to verse 18, the interpretation of this parable, the explanation of it. Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So before we get into this particular parable and what Jesus is teaching here, uh, we just want to answer the question quickly, why, why would we have a sermon or even a sermon series uh, about money? Well, for those of you who are in tune with what's going on, you remember that just uh, a short while ago we had a business meeting and we uh, passed our budget for the upcoming year. And uh, when we did that, we did that recognizing that we really have fallen short this year. Uh, we've kind of gone into the red uh, giving is, is not sufficient to meet the, the needs that we have and all the ministries that we're, we're seeking to support. So we, we passed another budget in which we said, hey, we're, we're going to kind of largely keep it the same. We cut some things back, and, and yet we're going to do this in faith, trusting that God will provide for us. We're going to be watchful. We're going to keep an eye on it. If we need to make adjustments, we can come back and make adjustments. Uh, but we want to move forward in faith, trusting the Lord to, to provide uh, and we mentioned in that that really the biggest challenge for us as a church is to grow in, in faithful, generous giving. 
The reality is, as it is so true in many most churches I've been around, is that there are more than enough resources here. It, it's not a matter of not having the resources available. It's a matter of the people of God trusting Christ enough to obey his words concerning money and, and giving. The, the number of people who faithfully give in the average church is very small. The percentage is very small compared to, to the whole if we as a church, all, all of us, were coming even close to the kind of generous giving that the New Testament calls for uh, and, and, and really commands, uh, we would have a budget crisis of another kind. It, it would be a budget crisis in the fact that we would be looking for new ministries to support. We would be looking for new missionaries to, to send. We would be looking for more people that we, we could help. Uh, that would be if God's people were giving as they really ought to and as they're called to in, in the New Testament. So you might look at that and say, well, that's the motivation here. We're doing a series on money and giving because uh, we haven't been giving it like we need to. The budget's been suffering a little bit. But let me say this, our, our motivation as we talk about these matters, our, our motivation is not really the budget, but it's your faith. It's your, your faith. The, the challenge of preaching a, a subject like this is that it can kind of seem self-serving or only because we, we need more money. But let me say a couple things. First of all, I can say with absolute confidence that I know God will supply all of our, our needs and that God will provide for his church according to his plan. Uh, he always does. I know in my life, God has always provided for me. And just through that, through, through learning that lesson again and again and again, uh, I'm just, I just want you to know as, as your pastor, Jared and I, we're, we didn't decide to go in this because we're, we're in a place of desperation. Like, oh no, oh no, God might not provide. We may not have what we need. No, God will provide. He's always provided in the past and we have faith and confidence that he will provide in the future. I even think about our, our history here as a church and I went back and looked at some of my notes just so I could clarify and remember the miraculous way that God has provided in the past. I remember that we were sitting in a very similar situation that we are now. Just a few years ago, uh, giving had been down. We, we still had a, a mortgage on this building. We had uh, owed about $70,000 left on this building. And we were getting to the point where we were struggling even to make the minimum payment on, on that uh, monthly mortgage, uh, let alone all of the other expenses. Uh, and we were in a challenging time, and we sensed that the Lord was leading us uh, to, to make an attempt to pay that off, $70,000. We put that before the people in three months. We had a goal, three months, $70,000, and this was us in a situation where uh, we're not even getting our monthly payment. We're, we're just barely getting to that goal on a monthly basis, and we saw God miraculously provide. God answered that prayer to, to everyone's surprise, including myself. I'm like, Let, let's do this and we can get a lot of this paid off. Maybe we won't get it all, but we're going to at least do this. And God, God showed up in a big way and he showed up through the giving of his people uh, and, and we were able to do that in a three-month period. So lessons like that are things that I've learned and, and I'm just trusting the Lord that God, God will provide. Uh, we, we also don't want to be guilty of pressuring anyone because if we just pressure you into giving, that doesn't do any good. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So that's not our motivation here. It, it would be a mistake on your part to think that a sermon series like this is just about the budget. It's more than that. And let me say this, your approach to money, 
your approach to money and generosity is not a minor issue in your Christian life. You see, this is more about your faith than the budget. God will take care of that. And, and if we have to scale back, we have to scale back. We'll be okay, okay? Uh, but, but this is a matter of your faith and what God is doing in your life. It's, it's not a minor issue. Some people think, well, I've got this great relationship with the Lord. Sure, I don't give. Sure, I'm not a very generous person. Uh, I don't help those in need. I don't give to the church. Uh, but I've got this great relationship. No, no, no. Giving, giving is not a minor issue uh, in, in your Christian life. Jesus' teaching would suggest that how you approach money and generosity says a great deal about where your heart truly is. You see, giving and generosity and the way that you handle money in, in your life is a little window into your heart. Few things are more accurate indicators of your heart than how you approach money and giving. In fact, the, the issue of money and material goods is so prominent in the teaching of Jesus. It's so prominent that it would be a mistake to think that this is some kind of minor issue. This is a central issue. It's a central issue, not because God needs your money, not because the church needs your money, uh, but, but, but because of what your heart is, is saying about that money in that, that moment uh, when you fail to, to be generous. So this sermon series is not about a, a couple of pastors who are feeling the pressure of a budget shortfall. This, this message is about a hugely significant and eternal matter. The reality is, is, is that the budget shortfall is merely an occasion for us to see our sinfulness and, and a lack of faith. It, it's a window into your heart. Uh, you, you know, here's the reality. There are a lot of things that we ought to be doing as, as a church, reading your Bible, praying, evangelizing. But most of those, we don't, we don't get a very accurate picture. And I, I don't know how many of you are reading your Bible. I mean, I talk to you, I encourage some of you. Uh, but Monday to Friday, I don't know how often are you actually getting into the word? How often are you spending time in prayer with the Lord? It's hard to know those things. But, but in terms of giving, that's one of those things that we get a real clear window into. We get a real clear picture, not, not necessarily in the particulars, but what I'm talking about, just the overall, okay, we've got X number of people, X number of members, and, and this is what our offerings are. This is kind of the medium income of, of people in Hancock County. We are way, way off of what you, what you might expect. And so this is just one of those areas where something like a, a budget shortfall where we're not bringing in enough money is just a clear picture. God's people are not giving like, like we ought to be giving. The reality is that long after this budget year, long after I'm gone, long after this church is gone, your relationship with money is going to matter. So this is not about the budget. How you handle money and your approach says something about your faith. It is an eternal matter. And so this is, this is significant. Uh, let's jump into the parable then. Uh, we want to understand the parable. And this is the point of the parable is to cause those of us who are listening to the message of Christ to cause us to evaluate our receptiveness to the message of Christ. That's what the parable is all about. You see verse number 19. Uh, he, he says this, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. In uh, Luke, he says the word, the seed is the word of God, the word of God that's proclaimed. In Mark, he says the sower sows the word. Uh, so he switches out, doesn't sow the seed, he sows the word. The idea is then that there's this message that's going out. 
There's a declaration that, that Christ is declaring things. He's, he's declaring the word of God, uh, and that is like the seed that is being scattered. But the problem is, right, that all these different people are hearing the message of Christ, and they're responding in different ways. Not all of them are responding with faith. Not all of them are believing in Christ. What's going on here? What is holding people back from believing Christ, from trusting in him, from giving their life to him and following him? What what is holding people back from obedience? And there are several things. And and Jesus gives this parable to help explain this is what's going on in the heart of people who don't respond with with faith. The parable is is meant to help explain those various things responses even as before we get into this parable then I just wonder uh, uh, about you you hear the word of Christ you hear the gospel you hear the the word of God preached week in and week out is it bearing fruit Uh, in other words uh, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here but but the idea is that the message that you hear is meant to lead you to respond not, not just in agreement, not just to say, oh, yes, that sounds good. Oh, yes, I like that. Yes, I agree with that. But, but there's life change, radical life change that comes as a result of hearing the word of Christ. There's supposed to be fruit. When you scatter seed on the word, on, on the ground, you expect things are going to grow. And, and when the word of God is preached, the, the expectation is when it's heard in the right way, Things are supposed to grow. People are supposed to grow. Faith is supposed to happen. Fruit is supposed to happen in your life. So as you just think about this, think about that. Am I responding to the word of God? Is there fruit in my life? What I've been here so like seven years now. I've been preaching the word. The word was preached before that. Many of you have been in church for your entire life. What has changed about your life over the years? What kind of fruit, what kind of change or growth has occurred in your life as a result of hearing the word of Christ preached week in and week out? There should be growth. There should be movement. There should be change. And that's what Jesus is is saying here, when that, when that doesn't happen, there's a problem, okay? And so he's, he's giving us this, this parable. This is something we need to understand. Jesus' message called for a radical response. The message of Christ was not one that was meant to give just mere agreement or assent. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I agree Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I believe that He's the Messiah. Yes, I believe He died for my sins. I, I, I believe that, meaning I just agree with it. No, the message that Jesus preached was a message that says, if you believe in me, you give your life to me, and your life is completely changed, the things that you were going after before are no longer what you're living for. Now you're living for me. That's the message of Christ. And if you're not living for Christ, then you haven't heard the message. Like if you just say, I've been baptized and I'm a Christian and I go to church once in a while, that's not the message of of Christ. The message of Christ is come, follow me and put me ahead of everything. Let your life be changed. It's a a message that is not just about agreement, but a a radical response. In fact, the, the response that Jesus demands is that nothing in your life can sit in a rival position with him, that he's got to be supreme in your life, that everything is, is subject to him. Everything else that you're doing, everything else that you're pursuing in, in life needs to be underneath Christ. Your 
primary pursuit in life should be Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to. That's the radical response. We see this in several places. The, the rich man, uh, the rich man that comes to Jesus and say, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law? He says, well, I've kept the law my whole life. I've done, I've done perfectly. And Jesus said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Go and sell everything that you have and come follow me. And the man went away sad. What was Jesus doing there? He's saying there's this radical response and, and, it, and the radical response is nothing can have first place in your life. And if anything has a position higher than me in your life, then you're not following me, right? Jesus is not someone who's content to say, okay, I'll take third, I'll take fourth in your life. After these other things, yeah, you can be loyal to me underneath your children, your family, your job, and then me. That, that, that's good. That'll get you into heaven and, and that'll be... No, no. Jesus said, if you're going to come and follow me, I've got to be first in your life, supreme over everything. That's why he tells the rich young man to sell all of his possessions. Why? Because the, the, the young man was putting his possessions, his riches above Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in, in other places. He tells the, the one man who says, I, I'll follow you and Jesus, he says, let me go bury my father first. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't, don't put this ahead of me. Don't delay following me, even for family, which in, in that culture, family was everything, right? That was the supreme thing that they valued. And Jesus said, don't do that. I'm, I'm before family. In fact, if you want to be my disciple and you don't first hate your father and mother and your brother and sister and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say there you can't be a super Christian. He, he doesn't say you're not going to grow very much. He, doesn't, he says you can't be my disciple if I don't come before mom and dad and brother and sister and children. If I don't come before even your own interest and your own life. If I don't come first, you're not my disciple. That's the radical kind of call that Jesus gives to us. That's not something we just say, well, yeah, I agree with it, not change our life. If you agree with it and you have true faith, you're going to change. It's, a, it's an invitation from the king. You notice verse 19. What is, he, what is this message? How does he describe it here? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, in, in Matthew chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very first announcement that Jesus gives in a pro public proclamation is to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's here. The kingdom of heaven is here. You know what Jesus was saying there? I'm the king. Repent. Bow your knee. Serve me. I, I'm the king, and so you need to turn away from all of your rebellion against the Lord and come and follow me. The kingdom of heaven is here, so repent, bow the knee. That's what Jesus demands of us is absolute devotion and, and obedience. And so that's what we, we see here. This is the message of, of the kingdom, and there are four different responses that are given. Three of them are inadequate. One is the right response. Three inadequate responses, and we really are just going to focus on the one uh, that focuses on, on material goods and, and money. There's first the, the unreceptive response. 
This is the, the seed that falls along the path. The path would be beaten down, people walking on it. The dirt is packed down so the seed doesn't get into the soil. It just sits on top. The birds of the air come down, and they swoop down, and they, they eat it. Nothing grows there at all. Jesus said that's the person who hears, and they don't understand. And, and it's not an understanding like they're just cognitively not able to understand. The, these are people who hear, and they, eh, I, I, don't, I don't care. Whatever, yeah, okay, I'm moving on to something else. It's, it's kind of a willing, uh, a willing ignorance. They, they don't understand because they don't want to understand. And so they're the people that maybe you've invited to church before, and I'm praying for this person. I really hope that they would come to church with me, and they come, and they hear the word preached, and they hear the gospel, and they walk away. It's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going back. It just, it's not for me, right? It's unreceptive. That's that's the first response. The second response was the shallow ground. This is the, the ground that's got some loose topsoil. Some things could grow in it, but underneath it, there's rocks. Uh, there, there's hard things under there. So, so the seed germinates, and it begins to grow, but the roots spread out and go to dig for that deeper earth to get the nutrients, and, and they can't find it. And so when the sun comes out and the weather gets warmer, and it just dries up and, and it dies. This is the person, Jesus says, who, who immediately hears the word and says, yes, I, I want to follow. But it's a shallow, it's a superficial response. They don't really understand all that Jesus is calling them to. And so when some trials come and, and when some tribulation comes into their life, they're like, wait, what is this? I'm following Jesus. Why, why am I experiencing these trials and difficulties? And, and they, they chuck their faith. I'm, I'm getting rid of this, right? I'm not following Christ. If this is what it's all about, that's a shallow superficial response but then thirdly we we have the preoccupied response and that's really what we want to focus on this morning the preoccupied response this is the seed that falls among really a lot of weeds and and thorns you see it in verse 7 other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them and then jumping down to verse 22 where he explains what this represents he says as for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so that's what's going on here. This is the person who hears it. They, they receive it. It seems like they, they are believing the word uh, and receptive to it, but then they become distracted with the cares of this world and with the deceitfulness of riches and and like weeds that, that, that rob it of what it needs for life. So the cares of this world rob, our, rob us from the, what we need for our faith to, to grow. And it chokes it out. The re- third response, that's our, our focus this morning. And we, we want to ask really the question, why is it that money and material possessions uh, pose such a threat to our reception of Christ? Why, why does Jesus talk so much about money? What is it that that causes these things to sort of be a direct conflict with the message of of Christ? And I would say this at at the most basic level, the reason is that these things distract us from the word of Christ and they deceive us. They distract us from Christ and they deceive us. So there are two clues. I think about uh, this distraction here that help us see what's going on. Why do they pose a threat? What is the problem with material goods, with with money? What's the temptation or or the particular danger? The first is 
is just the analogy that's used, the, the picture that's given of weeds that are choking out the life of, of a plant. Uh, we see that in, in verse 22. Uh, this is the, what was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. We know what it means to choke, right? To choke means that you cut off the means of something that is essential for life. So if you're choking a person, I hope you don't choke people, but if you choke someone, you're cutting off the source of their oxygen, right? So they're going to, to die. That's what choking is. This is, in essence, what weeds and thorns do to plants. It, it robs them of the source of their life. One person described it like this. Weeds compete with plants for water, sunlight, and nutrients, leaving non-weed plants starving. This loss of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, all the things a plant needs to grow, leaves them weak and prone to insect and disease infestation. So weeds take, uh, they, they compete with and take away the nutrients that, that a plant needs. And that's the picture that's being used here. And, and the point is this, the point is this, this is precisely what riches and the cares of this world do to us. They compete, they vie for our loyalty, they vie for our attention, our focus, our energy, our time, our love, our devotion, so that when you give yourself to them, the pursuit of riches or the cares of this world, when you give yourself to them, there's no room left <clears throat> to give your loyalty to Christ or attention or focus or energy or time or love or devotion. You have nothing left to give to Christ. So that's the, that's the picture that's being used here. Material things choke out. They, they take the source of life away from our faith. The second clue that helps us understand what Jesus is teaching here is, is this idea, the cares of this world. The cares of this world. How, how many things are there that you can really give your full devotion to? How many things can you really care for in a full kind of all-consuming way? For example, you can't be devoted to two spouses, right? Because the other, both spouses want your full devotion. They're, they're demanding that of it, and, and you can't give full devotion to two spouses, right? That, that would be a, a problem. Jesus wants you to be fully devoted to him, and the cares of this world require that you be fully devoted to them. So they're vying, they're, they are competing, and you can't do both. In fact, isn't that exactly what Jesus taught? But he used, he used a different analogy. He said, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Why not? Because both masters are going to require your service. This master on Monday morning is going to say, hey, we're going to do this, and I want you to take care of this. And this master is going to say, hey, this is what I require of you. And you can't be in two places at one time. You can't be doing service for both at one time when they're telling you to do different things. The same thing with money and possessions. You cannot do what money and possessions and the cares of this world require of you in order to have them and keep them and live for them and live for Jesus Christ. They're requiring the same things of you. You can't go in two directions. No man can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Jesus clears up. Uh, this isn't just a general analogy that he uses. He clears up exactly what he's talking about. He says, you cannot serve God and money. 
And that's what they both require. They both require the same things. You can't give your affections to both. You can't serve two masters. You can't love two wives. You cannot be loyal to two opposing kings, right? Jesus is supreme and demands absolute loyalty, first place, undivided affections. And so this is the problem. You know, kind of bringing this back to the issue of giving. Giving is one of the clearest, most visible indicators about who has your loyalty. This is why giving is so important. Forget the budget. Forget about where we are. God will take care of that. But this is about you. This is about your faith. Are you submitted to King Jesus? Or are you living for the cares of this world? Right? There's, There's two. You can't do both. Right. And giving is one of those clear indicators. Where, where's your heart? Who, who are you living for? Are you obediently following King Jesus and obeying his commands to be a generous person? Or are you living for material goods? And this is an easy one. Again, giving is one of those easy ones because this is a head to head matchup. Right. When I was growing up, we would uh, we had uh, lived around Cincinnati and big college basketball fans, right? So we were UK fans because we lived on the south side of the Ohio River. We were rooting for UK. But but Cincinnati, uh, the University of Cincinnati was right across the river. We had a lot of friends that they were Cincinnati UC fans. We were UK fans, right? And we would talk smack all the time about who was better. The problem was they never matched up head to head, right? They, they never played each other. Maybe back in the 50s or 60s, but in my lifetime, they never they never matched up. So it was all just about, well, we beat this team and you lost to them. So that means we're, we're better. Well, you know that doesn't always work out in sports, right? You could beat a team that beats another team, but then that team can beat you. If you Hopefully you stayed with that analogy, right? It, it's hard to determine, you know, who's better uh, or who's victorious because there's no matchup there. There's no head-to-head matchup. But when it comes to giving, this is a head-to-head matchup. Where are your loyalties at? Is Christ going to win? Or are you living for possessions? Are you living for money? Are you living for material goods? Head-to-head matchup. Are you a giver? That right there is a window into your heart about who is ruling your desires and your affections. And so we need to, to recognize this. If you refuse to be generous, though it's commanded by our king, then you are more, more loyal to money than you are to Christ, And that is, after all, what we've seen, that is a problem because Christ demands first place. Money distracts you. Secondly, money deceives you. You notice in verse 22, I love this expression. It's used in a couple places. Jesus uses it. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word that that is an expression Jesus didn't come up with that other other places it's it's been used it's it's an expression to a, a very descriptive uh, expression of covetousness it, it's it's a way of describing uh, what covetousness is the the deceitfulness of riches and and at the heart of I think that analogy or that expression this this is what it means uh, there's a sense in which money always tells you and and possessions always say hey Here's happiness. Just get this, and then you get that. Hey, no, 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 it's, it's here. 
just a little bit more, a little bit, a little bit more in the retirement, a little bit higher salary. It's, it's right here. If you get here, it'll be here. And then you get there. Oh, no, no. You, you got to have this, man. You really need that car. I know you just got a new car. This, this is a newer car. This is better, right? Come on, get it, get it. And then you'll be happy. And then you keep going and a new phone and a new computer and better vacations and bigger this and newer that and renovate this. And it keeps telling you more, 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 right? It's the deceptiveness of riches because you get there and you realize happiness isn't here. Joy isn't here. This doesn't satisfy my longings. And that's exactly what covetousness is. It's like all other appetites. The more you feed it, the stronger it grows. Like I'm battling that right now with my, my appetite. I've been doing good on this diet. I've been re- really good. I killed my appetite and I brought it under control and I was really staying good. And then I started eating a little too much, right? It's like, man, that was good. I think I'm going to eat some more. And then you eat some more. That's what appetites do. That's what our, our physical appetite for food does. It just grows. The more you feed it, the more you want. That's the same way that covetousness works. The more you get, the more you want. You're never satisfied. And so money deceives you. But it, it deceives you in other ways. That's, that's one clear way. But money deceives you with, with other lies. Money deceives you by leading you to think that this is what life is all about. The things that you have. The money that you have. Your standing. All, all of these kind of things. This is what life is all about. This is what Jesus was teaching in the parable of Luke. Of, of the rich fool in, in Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's what Jesus, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. And I think most of us say, yeah, I, I know. I know it doesn't. But we don't live like that. We live like it does. In our, in our heart of hearts, I don't know that we really believe that. Life doesn't consist in you getting that new vehicle or that new house or that new phone. But in the moment, we feel like it does, right? In the moment, we think, yeah, but I really think I'd be happy if I just had that. My, my life consists in this. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Be, be careful. Be, take care. Be on your guard against covetousness. You've got to watch out for it. You got to watch out for it because it's deceptive. It doesn't come straight ahead. It's deceiving. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So be on guard against that mindset. Piper says this is the lie that that it says. Don't, Don't be deceived by the message of money that woos you with the words, I give you life. Your life will be drab and boring and empty and meaningless and unhappy without me. If you lose me, you lose a very large part of your life. If you lose me, you lose what life can be for you. I am your life. Do you realize how big I am? Life will be real life, truly life, if you have me. For some of you here this morning, no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get rid of that mindset. My life, my happiness is dependent on money and the things that I can have because of money. And I think for some, that's why you don't give. If you view your life that way, you will not give. If you think my happiness, my life consists in this house, this car, this stuff, this vacation, this, my life is that. And if I, if I have those things, it's good. 
Look, if you've got that mindset, you would never give in a million years. Like you might, you might give a little bit sparingly here or there just to save face, but, but you're not going to be a generous giver because you're not going to give away what is your life. It's not until you come to realize that Christ is my life. Christ is everything. I want him more than I want any of this stuff that we're putting in storage bins and the stuff that we're leaving to our kids that they're not going to know what to do with because we got so much junk. I want Christ more than all of that. It's only when you get to that point that you're like, yes, I'm, I'm going to give. As long as you are looking to money and possessions to be your life, you will not be a giver. Money deceives you, not only that by that, but by giving you the false sense of security. It gives comfort and ease. Uh, comfort and ease comes uh, with, with an idea that everything's right with me. Everything's good. It's a false sense of security. In that same passage in Matthew 12, he, he goes on to tell that parable uh, in verse 15. He said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, this is the lie that if you have plenty, you're secure. Live it up. Everything's good. You've, you've got plenty. Enjoy it. Pleasure yourself. Entertain yourself. Right? And all you got to do is look at Facebook to know that this is the mindset of so many people. Right? It's work. And, and I work because I have to work so I can make money. And then I party. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. Some people do party in some bad ways. I just mean live it up. Entertain yourself. Travel. Do this. Take this vacation. Go see this concert. Go to this. Do this. The rest of my life, if I'm not working... Uh, to earn money, I'm spending money on things that are going to pleasure myself. And that's what this man is saying. Look, I've earned this stuff. It's all mine. Now relax. Eat, drink, be, be merry. Money represents ease and comfort and pleasure and entertainment, which is where they find joy. And so this is, this is part of the reason people don't give. Again, if, you, if your joy, if your comfort and ease comes from this. Uh, giving is a threat to that mindset. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's, that's the mindset of so many. If you're thinking, eat, drink, and be merry, you're not going to give because that's a threat to those, to those things. Money deceives you by, by building up, thirdly, by blinding you, rather, by blinding you to the absolutely certain future. The, the horrifying point of, of all this is the words of God to that man in Luke 12. Fool, this night your life is required of you. The, the lie here is that the ease and comfort you have causes you to neglect your relationship with the Lord with spiritual matters so that you're, you're thinking, hey, I've got these barns, I've got this money, I've got these possessions, everything's good, and you fail to look to the future, you fail to look to spiritual things, and you think your soul can be at ease 
but there's a future coming and there are two absolute things that are coming in the future. One, your stuff will go away. Your stuff will go away. So Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on this earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Jesus is saying, look, that stuff's fading away. So don't give your life to it. That's one absolutely certain thing in the, in the future. The second is this, that you will give an account to God. That's what happened to this man in Luke 12. You fool, your, your life is required of you. you. You've been stingy. You have not obeyed God. You have not lived for the Lord. You've lived for these possessions. And now your life is over. And all of your stuff is over. And whose are they going to be now? What good are they going to do now? Jesus asked in another place, what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses, forfeits his own soul? There's a, there's a certain future that is coming. The application here is that money is vying for your affection, but it's doing so by deceptive means. And you need to be aware of that. And giving is an indicator that the vast majority of you are being deceived. You've bought the lie. You've bought the lie. You're, you're being deceived and you need to be careful. Be on guard. Take guard. Be careful. Watch out for covetousness. Your life doesn't consist in these things. There's a future coming. These things are fading away and, and they're going to pass away and you're going to give an account to the Lord. You're going to stand before him. And then what's going to happen with all this stuff? More importantly, what's going to happen to your soul? Have you given your heart and life to Christ? Money deceives you. And I beg with you. I, 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 don't, I don't care about the budget. I don't care about what we've got. I, not that I don't care. Let me, let me backtrack on this. These things are things that I care about. But this is not the main import of what we're talking about here. What's most important is your soul. It's your faith. It's what God is doing in your life. It's whether or not you've truly submitted your life to Christ. And Jesus says over and over and over again, money is an indicator of that. Money's an indicator of that. Money makes you fruitless. This is the third thing we see, and this will be quick here. You notice verse 22. Verse 22. And the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Mark says that it yielded no grain. Luke says the fruit does not mature. So, I think some questions we could ask, why, why does following Jesus not make a bigger impact in so many people's lives? Why is Christianity, particularly in the West, and when the West I'm talking about uh, here in America and, and, and some other places where prosperity is so prevalent, why is Christianity in the West so weak and so fruitless and so immature? And I think the answer to all of this is because Really, so many are not really following Jesus, but they're following money. That's the whole point of this. You're either following material goods, you're living for these things, or you're living for Christ. And I think when we look at the immaturity, we look at there's no fruit. We planted seed. It's not growing. What's happening? What's the problem? Jesus says, this is one of the problems. People aren't living for Christ. The, the, the cares of this world is choking it out. So that there's no growth, there's no maturity, there's no fruit. What you need to be aware of is that a fruitless Christianity is no Christianity at all. If money is keeping you from Jesus, you must question whether you are truly 
a follower of Christ. I think that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage and what he teaches every time he talks about money. You can't live for both. Back to that passage in Matthew 19, the, the, rich, young, uh, the, the rich young man who walked away from Christ, he was devoted to his money. That's where some of you are at today. I, I wonder, I wonder would the outcome be any different for you here this morning? If you say, hey, Jesus showed up. Jesus, I'm a follower of you. Oh, yeah, you, you are? Go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. I've got something for you to do. I wonder how many of us would be like that rich man and, and we, we, our, our lack of true faith would really be exposed and we'd be like, Jesus, I can't do that. I can't give up all this stuff. This is really important. I, I can't turn away from all this. And many of us perhaps would leave sad because of our great wealth. For many of you, your, your unwillingness to give is an indicator that you have never truly made the determination to follow Christ. What I would urge you to do this morning is to turn from your devotion to money and to material things and be devoted to King Jesus. Repent, for the King is here and he demands your loyalty. Don't go away sad. If you do this, you, you will bear fruit. If you truly turn from material possessions and turn to Christ, you will begin to bear fruit in your life. And one of those fruits that you will bear is that you'll be a generous giver. And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm, I'm talking about just in your life, you will become a generous giver. Where you see needs, you will give. Let me issue you a challenge because in our day and time, I think one of the challenges here is there's such a skepticism uh, about churches and organizations and, and all of that kind of thing. You think, Man, this is just such a self-serving message. He's preaching and putting this hard pressure on us about giving and all of this. And man, he stands to gain. The church that he's leading stands to gain. So let me just, if that's your mindset, let me just issue you a challenge this morning. It's not about this church. God's kingdom is much bigger than this. Now, I think the best way to give is to give through a local church and collectively together as a body of believers. And I would, I would say that would be the typical way. But if that's your mindset, if you've got a high level of skepticism, you think he's just doing this because their budget's a little bit low, let me challenge you in this way. Find a gospel preaching, faithful, word-exalting, Christ-honoring, people-helping, evangelizing ministry and be generous to them. If, if you think that this is just all about us bringing money and, and, and you're using that as sort of a, hey, I'm not going to give, find other ways to be radically generous, the kind of generosity that, that, that Jesus calls us to. Uh, I would just challenge that because I, I think for most people who say things like that, the heart of the matter is not that they really distrust the church that they're giving to or anything like that. Really, the heart of the matter is they just don't want to give. They, they've never... They've never really fully devoted themselves to Christ. There, there's this competition that's going on between material things and, and Christ. And so I would challenge you in that way this morning. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. Uh, now we're going to observe the Lord's table and our, our musicians. As they come, I'll, I'll just close this in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we pray, God, that you would do a work in all of our hearts. We pray that you would deliver us. Lord, we, we are knee deep in materialism in this culture. And for most of us, we don't even see it. We're, we're drowning in this sin. And, and we think we're fine. God, expose our hearts. 
Bring, bring conviction through your spirit. Lord, I pray for, for some who are here this morning and perhaps they've heard this message and, and maybe they've never understood exactly what Christ demanded of them until this moment when they heard this sermon. I pray that as they're hearing this, that, that they would be good soil, that this word would land in their heart and that it would take root and begin to bear fruit. I, I pray that they would uh, that they would make a determination in their heart right now to believe in Christ, to trust in him, and to follow him in an, in an unfiltered kind of way. No divided loyalty, Lord, but they, they would give their whole heart and their whole life to you. I pray that you would do that this morning in, in the hearts of those who perhaps have been deceived. We, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.